You are listening to Sick Biz Buzz with me, Hillary Jastrom. Welcome back to Sick Biz Buzz, the sickest podcast empowering chronically ill and disabled entrepreneurs and the first podcast of its kind. So what's the main thing that sick bizzers need right now in this crazy ass world? I'll take a stab in the dark. We want jobs. We want ways to make money that will not disrupt our lives. Well, don't forget that the Sick Biz Facebook group posts about job opportunities in a bid to get you in touch with real gigs that you can sign on for to make legal freaking tender. Yes, you get paid. When I got sick, my biggest worry was how in the world am I going to pay my bills? But as soon as I latched onto enough jobs for the month, I could breathe a huge sigh of relief. I know how it feels to wonder where the money is coming from. Sick Biz wants to ease that concern for you. So make sure you join the Facebook group, check out the job postings, and alleviate your worries. Just search Sick Biz and make sure you answer the questions and we'll let you right in. And then the job heyday begins. My guest today came along at the right time in life. Isn't that the best when that happens? I met Jill Ryan through my dearest friend, Drew Linsalata, over there at the Anxious Truth Facebook group, and only yesterday, I met Joe. Joe and I instantly clicked after I listened to his podcast, It's Not You, It's Your Trauma, a trauma, abuse, anxiety, PTSD, and recovery podcast. Honestly, when I saw the proper use of the semicolon in the title of his show, I was so proud to be a listener. In all seriousness, Joe has been on a lifelong journey of overcoming shame and the demons that plague him from his childhood. And now he has turned his mission outward, helping other people to conquer their traumatic past. It's so admirable when people look beyond themselves. He's going to share with you some very insightful perceptions about recovery, what's standing in your way, and why you are so drawn to your fear. In this ridic pandemic age, Joe's recovery slowed to a degree, and with the lack of connectivity to other humans, he had to do more work to keep healing. So he's going to share with you how you can keep going, even in the ugly face of COVID and so much more. And everything you hear today is designed to help you grow and at last rehab your soul. You are going to adore him. Please welcome my brand new friend and kindred compassionate spirit, Joe Ryan. Hey, Hillary. Thank you so much. Appreciate hey, it. Yes, you're here. You <laughs> I <made> know. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, good to be here. That's awesome. I'm so happy you're here. Um, let's get to know you. Let's let's introduce you and take you through the moments of your life. I, I, I don't like to tell people like, tell me how you got here, like from birth. Well, I was six pounds, nine ounces. And no, <laughs> 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 we could speed it up a little bit, skip over the boring parts. We get, are there boring yeah. parts? I, you know, I don't, uh, th- I don't know if that would be true about you. I have a sneaking suspicion, but how did you get here to today to be on the show? What are you doing? What are you up to? Um, well, I've been doing recovery for many, many years. I started out uh, drugs and alcohol about the age of 10. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by day I was, you know, a good guy, people pleaser, you know, started a business real young. And at night I was blackout drinking. And so I had these two worlds of playing a role on one part and then exercising the demons on the other part. And they were just two huge polarities and at some point um the addiction started to fail like all addictions they eventually fail they take you out of that pain early and you start to move through it but your life gets really really small and narrow and um your ways of thinking shrink and the fear starts to creep in because of that dependency on something else to take you out of your shame and your pain that um, I just woke up one day and, you know, looked around, there was nobody left. It was just kind of me in this big empty apartment. And 
um, I was reading a book and it was talking about 12 step programs and I got myself to AA and that was pretty much the start of this <laughs> long, exhaustive journey. <laughs> it is a long one, isn't it? It's, yeah. a, it's a winding one too. So you embarked on the journey of recovery after, and you said you lost everybody. So you, you lost your spouse and you're seeing your kids part-time your business is taking a hit probably if you're using, right? Yeah, well, I, I cleaned up for a while and I got married and then um, I did have this business that was pretty successful for a while. And then um, a big corporate giant came in down the block and the recession hit and gas went up to like almost $6 a gallon. And it was just really hard to compete. And at that point I had, you know, I felt like I had my addictions under control. I was clean for about 17 years. And then I had lost, I had a tremendous amount of loss in 18 months and never really processing my childhood trauma and, you know, the things that I kind of had went through. I, I buried them and I, I buried them and covered them over with the business and being, you know, a father and a husband and a house and, you know, kind of living that life where people could see me with those accomplishments that had put all the shameful stuff so far away. And then when I had lost everything that kind of took away the shame and the pain, yeah. I had nothing, there was no place else to look. Like I didn't have achievements or to, sh to hold up and say, yeah, I may feel like worthless here, but we're not going to look at that because look at what I've accomplished. And all those accomplishments went away. And then I was just left with the pain and the shame and uh, the humiliation that you just never really dealt with. And that was a big turning point for me. So the loss, this massive loss then kicked off some more of this pain for you. It kind of brought it to the surface, the trauma to the surface, like, all right, I'm feeling this pain, but I never really dealt with it. That's what I'm hearing. I had, yeah, I had nothing else to hide behind anymore. Mm -hmm. you yeah. Know, it was, you could say whatever you wanted about me, but I felt bulletproof because it was like, well, how could you be saying that? Look at all of this. And then all of that went away and I was just left with myself. So I had nothing to cover up how I really had felt about myself. So I basically used everything outside of me to validate myself, mm -hmm. but I never took the time to validate myself for myself. For yourself, like get it from, from inside of you. You were, were you blocking at the same time? So you didn't have to deal with stuff? I guess it, part of it was I just, I stood on the, you know, the merits of I was clean for so long and, you know, I was speaking, you know, at recovery centers and speaking at schools and I had sponsees and sponsors and all of that. And it just, you know, that, that put a shine on the rust that was underneath. Ooh. Ooh, so, look at you yeah. writing while you're speaking. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess blocking was, yeah, it's a good word. I just buried it. And I, I did this from an early age. I just buried all of that, um, all the things that I didn't want to look at that were painful and have to go into the reality of who I was and how I felt about myself. And I just covered it up. And when there was nothing left to cover it with, I was stuck with myself and the the realization that I wasn't what I thought I was. <laughs> I was just playing this role and this part and becoming um, this person in the society and family system where I was looked at in a positive way yeah. to cover to cover it up. And when there's nothing left to cover up and you're just left with self, <laughs> it really reality does <laughs> does kick in at that point. And you know you have you have choices and you can, you know, go right or you can go left. And, you know, I kind of took a bad turn for a while. And at some point I really truly bottomed out again. And I'm hoping that that was my last bottom. And I feel like it is. Um, so let's hope <laughs> as we keep doing the work, I know you don't really sink as low as you used to anymore when you get into the pain of the feelings. And you're learning in the pain of the feelings when you're not blocking, it seems like you need to figure out how to sit with that. You need to sit with that pain. You need to get to know the shame. You talk a lot about shame. And is that, is that what cropped up too? So you're left with yourself. You're stripped bare. You've got trauma. You've got shame. You've got pain. What in the world is your next move? 
<laughs> um, depression, not getting off the couch, becoming agoraphobic and afraid to be seen by humans was the next step. Like I, it wasn't a step. I just fell into that. Yeah. And you know, when I was like, is this as good as it gets? Am I never going to feel good ever again? Like I didn't know how to get out of it. There was so much emotional confusion. Um, I was trying to think my way out of it. I was trying not to beat myself up, but I really just became a shell of a human being. I, I had no internal life. I didn't know who I was without my role. I didn't know who I was without being able to show people my accomplishments. I had to learn how to go from a, hum a human doing to a human being. Like I needed to find mm. being okay mm. with just being. And it was, um, it was about, it was more than two years, but two, two years was really bad. And then I had gotten, um, I got myself into a place where I was away on vacation with somebody and, um, sh the conversation and the, the, I guess the argument we were having kind of gotten loud. Um, I wasn't loud. I was kind of absorbing it. And it took me to a place of memories of abuse that I was not previously aware of. Mm. And I had, I thought it was a 20 minute event, but it turned out um, it was four hours. I just relived this traumatic experience that was so close to my core. And for me, that was the light bulb. After, I mean, after that, it was really difficult walking around with the new knowledge, but mm -hmm. the healing that had come with going into that incredibly painful place, that, that terrorizing place, the, the feelings that as a child, you're not able to manage, absorb, feel, process, it's just terror. And I re-experienced it in adulthood and the healing that I had found in that the months after had started me on the path that I'm on now. It's no longer avoiding what feels bad yeah. it's, and running from it. It is allowing it to surface. And when it surfaces, allowing myself to absorb me, I get absorbed in the fear and the feelings and the pain, mm -hmm. and I allow it to take me over. Mm -hmm. I don't attach to it um, emotionally or mentally. I'm almost like a third party experiencing it love it yes. and i wait for it to um subside and pass and then the process for me is hopefully as i'm experiencing it before it passes it's going to take me to closer to the origin of where that comes from and for me i call that layers so whatever i was experiencing that evening that was a layer that i needed that came up I didn't run. I didn't mood alter. I sat with it. I experienced it. You know, sometimes it comes out as anger, rage, sadness. You know, it's just all kind of those low level emotions, which whatever it is, I experience it and then process it. And then I feel lighter. And okay. then, yeah, God. Oh, no, I, I, I'm just agreeing with you. But I think it's really interesting that you are calling anger, fear and sadness low level emotions, because it's like, um, we're programmed, it seems like to see anger, fear and sadness as like, oh, okay, well, we recognize it. I feel this way. This is good. And we move on. It, it seems like we're not, we don't learn how to dive deeper into it to come out on the other side of it. So often we just go, you know what, that frustrates me. And so I'm angry and that's the end all be all. And then I was okay. But we don't, we don't go into the anger, sadness, and fear. No. And I think, uh, you know, most of the people that I deal with, with what I'm doing, um, they weren't allowed to have anger. So you were shamed when you had certain emotions and anger, without anger, you have no protection and no boundaries. And then you just become a doormat for your life and you live in fear. So not allowing, if you weren't allowed to have anger and every time you had anger, you would be shamed, punished, locked in the closet, whatever the punishment was for not allowing yourself to have, the, not being allowed to have your emotions you put them away, but it's energy, right? And you're storing it inside of you and it wants to come out. And those uncomfortable feelings are yeah. screaming, screaming for attention. They're screaming to be felt, recognized, experienced, processed, grieved, and released. Yeah, absolutely. And so some people have said that anger 
is the manifestation of fear. Do you think there's some truth to that? Oh, absolutely. Um, if you're not allowed to have your anger and you have that emotion and you have to bury it and put it inside, not allowing yourself to feel emotions just makes it more fearful. And it, it leads to self-hate mm -hmm. because you have this emotion and anger is a natural emotion, just like joy. We should be able to experience both. And when you feel anger and you were ashamed for it, you feel bad. And you turn that anger inside and you self-hate because you're not supposed to have that emotion from where you came from. Okay, that is crazy, but it makes it 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 makes sense. And then I wonder if there's another component too of like we are responsible for taking care of ourselves. And when we fail to do that out of fear or anger or depression or sadness or, or whatever kind of lower level blocking emotion there is. I wonder if there's shame in failing to, is that what you're talking about? Like the shame in failing to fully love yourself. Yes, shame is the bottom. So out of all the layers that I keep peeling away, every time I get down towards that, the, that core, it's all shame. I feel... Oh humiliated. I feel embarrassed. I feel like I don't want to be seen. I feel like I'm being judged. And, you know, that's the internalizing of emotions that you weren't allowed to have. Right. So when you are shamed for being you, that is, you are shamed at the core. It's not that I made a mistake. It's I am a mistake. Oh, and geez. when you make a mistake, you can apologize and you can correct it. When you feel like you are a mistake, where do you go from there? How do you, how do you heal from that? I have to embarrass myself to myself to get in touch with my shame. And when I can resolve that humiliation and embarrassment that I feel within myself, I am then able to share that with somebody else and hopefully the world so that if I am not humiliated and shamed by what I had done and how I had acted and the people I've hurt and tried to make amends, if I can own my shame and mm -hmm. put it out there, mm -hmm. I don't have to hide from it anymore. So you have to own your shame first. And then when you own your shame first, is the goal then to move into a state of being unable to be shamed? I don't think you ever get to a place <laughs> where you are not able to be shamed or feel anger or feel joy. I think there, there's healthy shame and then there's, there's toxic shame and there's nobody's really talking about the differences. We only have one word for it and it's shame and it's a very negative thing. There are things, there are points of, of healthy shame. You know, you make a mistake and you're embarrassed and you go and apologize. Mm -hmm. And that's a healthy way of doing it. When you do something where you feel shamed and you internalize it and then you bury it deep inside of you, it, it's, it's, it's just living in there and it's festering. We never get to a point, I think we just learn how to manage emotions better, disappointment better, frustration better, shame better. For me, if I feel shamed, I, I used to, it used to be, I, I would feel shamed and I didn't know what that emotion was. All I know is that I would spiral out of control internally. There would be this big warm washover that I didn't recognize. I would automatically emotionally start beating myself up and then I would, the dialogue I would have in my head is I'm worthless and I'm no good. I've gotten to the point where I can recognize that when that emotion comes, I, I can recognize it as shame and I can put the brakes on a lot quicker instead of like not wanting to go out for three weeks because I still feel humiliated and shamed within myself. I can kind of catch it and, and manage it and talk myself through it, brush myself off and get out the door. And the more I do that, the less I go into that shame spiral and, and just completely beat myself up. So you're, you're changing your behavior and you're changing your self-talk to come to terms with that shame. And I agree with you. I think that uh, we need a healthy dose of, a dose of shame. It keeps you humble and charming. And that's an inside joke that we have there, <laughs> right? It keeps you humble. And so, it, you know, you, you need that as almost like a, a fail safe in a way, like, 
some, uh, you know, grandiose personalities seem not to have a lick of shame at all. And that's not where we're striving. You talked when we spoke earlier about straddling the line between the grandiose, egotistical presentation of self and kind of like the crumbling, you know, uh, just being too hard on yourself, kind of self-flagellation and really trying to walk down the middle of the ordinary life. What do you mean by that? Well, it's an integration. So, you know, when you grow up and you're ashamed for certain emotions and then you learn not to ever have them and you put them really far deep inside, they're going to fester. And to overcome that, you become an overachiever on the other end. So you have, you know, you feel worthless on one end and you Mm -hmm. feel grandiose on the other because of your accomplishments. I'm putting every, so I lose everything. Now everything that I was grandiose about made me feel good about myself is gone. So I went all the way back to the other end of feeling worthless. So the sweet spot is is the middle. You know, having some healthy shame, working on your toxic shame, you know, moving forward in life with what you want to do, how you want to be and how you want to feel instead of becoming something that you needed to become to survive and to be valued and to have... Um, you know, self-worth from those mirroring faces that, that were around you. Yeah. So okay. it's kind of like uh, you're not on opposite ends anymore. It's integrating the, the, the worthless part with the grandiose part and somewhere in the middle is where life is. Why do we go right to the polar opposite? Why can't we say, okay, I lost everything. Now I'm going to be ordinary. Instead, we go just right to the flip. We do this in everything, in in media and wearing a mask and political arenas, all of it. We do the same thing with ourselves. Why is it so hard for us to be so multifaceted? I, I've, you know, there's, I don't think there's really a, a definitive answer, but I think what it, where it really stems from is when we're born, we, everybody has narcissistic needs. You know, those basic needs of feeling like you matter, feeling like you're seen and heard, feeling like you belong, feeling like you're lovable, feeling like you can experience joy and, and give joy. And when those needs aren't met at a certain developmental stage in a child's life, they will always be lacking and trying to fill the needs that they should have gotten in infancy and toddlerhood and back then. And you get stuck and we look outside of ourselves to fill that up because honestly, it's, it's easier for me to go and be successful in business than to go inside and go, this is why I feel worthless because that's so harder. so much harder. So the, you, you take the easiest path and we're so young. Like what I know at 17, what did I know at 23? All I knew is I wanted to feel good. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to have money and a car and a house and a wife and a family. That's, that was the goal because right. I was told this is happiness. This is success. This is where you're supposed to be. And if you come short of this, you are a failure. I started working when I was 11 years old because I couldn't wait to get there. I didn't enjoy any of the journey. I wasn't yeah. even living within myself. No, not at 11. Not You're just, and I think like you talked about, and this is really important, not even as a young adult. You have, you have like, um, the materialization of goals, the car, the family, the house, but you don't understand why you might want those things. You just, you just see them as that, well, that equals that I'm okay. That equals that I'm not a mess, that I've made it, that people can look in and see. But that is just, I feel like those are walls, even to some degree, because you run to those, you're like, oh, thank God, I have something to focus on. I don't have to focus on me now. But it's not even a cognizant thought in your head. It's just like, well, this is where I'm supposed to go. And you're coming from a dysfunctional background um, with a lot of enmeshed family dynamics, which I thought was really fascinating when I listened to your podcast the other day. The enmeshed family dynamic. What in God's green earth is that? Well, it's... um... So as you, we're all born with a full range of emotions, we're supposed okay. to be able to 
um, feel and experience and express every emotion, negative, positive emotion. It doesn't matter. Every emotion we're supposed to be able to express. And in a, um, in a, in a healthier family system, and every family system's a mesh to some point, but it, it, think of each individual as a loose circle. And we all are experiencing our own emotions and we're allowed to express them and feel them and not be shamed for having them. And in a meshed family system, we're not individuals. We hold hands as one big circle and we share all of the emotions that a human has between the family. So one person may be completely shameless. If that person is shameless, where is all the shame? Who is carrying the shame? If this person can have 85% of the anger and this person has 15% of the anger, what about the other two and three kids who can't have the anger? They have no protection and no boundaries. So the emotions get divvied up throughout the entire family. And then that causes us to have roles within the family, you know, overachiever, hero, scapegoat, rebel. I mean, it's like, I don't know, what is it? 36 roles in a family yeah. system now. It's like, it's, 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 it's immense how many roles there are. So when you're not allowed to experience your full range of emotions and you are basically told without being told, you're not allowed to have this you it's it's like taking your soul hostage because you're not allowed to live free within yourself so you're tacitly being told that you you can't feel this way because your role in the family is this you're not the determining factor you don't get to feel shame because the person who is in charge of the family order is the one who is in charge of being shameless is the one who is in charge of saying, yes, you know what? You're in this role. You can feel this way. You're in this role. You can feel this way. Sometimes they're even in charge of the relationships within the family. Is that correct? Absolutely. And it's, mm -hmm. yes, absolutely. So there's, um, there's like executive power to one person and they kind of dictate downhill who and how you interact and the relationships you can have with each other. And, you know, there's, there's also like a, a thing where they limit joy and limit success. Like you can never be happier than me. You can never be more successful than me. You can never be more than me. And then people who take that on will self-sabotage every time they get to a point where they're about to break free on their own. And you don't understand why. I remember a story where there was, I think it was a golfer. He could never win an open. Mm. And, right six or eight months or within a year after his father died, he, win, he won like three opens in five years. Oh, and the, as the story goes, he goes, I wish my dad could have been here. And then talking to people <laughs> about shame, it's just like, if your dad was here, you wouldn't have won because you could never have been better than him. And yes. this is so ingrained so deeply and, and peeling away those layers, you start to, to get to this. I am right now working on my whole self-sabotage because I'm, 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 I'm so thick in my own shame right now. I'm starting to see the wrong turns mm -hmm. and why I've chose what I chose. Mm -hmm. Because this is part of my role, is to never break out of this family system. Okay, that's so fascinating because you're getting the reinforcement of your role and that is it's okay for you to have a lack of emotions or experience them from tacit language and or behavior. So it might be something like you start to explain how excited you are about an opportunity to a family member and maybe they change the subject or they flip it to themselves or they stay silent or they get up and leave the room. So it's, it maybe isn't all this confrontation and acrimony, but it is, it, you start to see that, oh, I can't talk to that person because they never ask about me. It, it's definitely an undercurrent and it's not, it's covert. Mm -hmm. And you learn the language of the system even before you know it. And it's yeah. just ingrained in you. So, you know, certain choices I've made were met with certain kinds of resistance. And listen, some of the things I chose in life were ridiculous. You know, <laughs> I, I should have been shamed. <laughs> <laughs> for the choices I was making, to be honest with you. And I probably wish I was shamed a little more out of them because the rebellious side of me kicked in and said, I'm doing it anyway. Because now, well, yeah. now, forget it, I'm all in. 
But well, you, yeah, and when you think nobody cares, then you're like, well, what does it matter? I can do whatever I want because you're never going to approve of me. You're never going to be interested in me. And it can get to the point where you have to break from your family. Yes. Um, and, and some of it's fear. You know, some of it is their, their ego, their narcissism, but some of it's fear. If, you know, if like my son chose to do things that I was not comfortable with, I could feel that fear for him. I'm not going to, he's never going to know it and he's never going to see it or feel it. I'm going to encourage him. But right. certain choices that you make is you it's the other person's fear and where they came from. So it's not really, it's not about blaming. It's more about, it's, it's all about understanding where that person came from, where you came from and how the dynamics completely right. screwed you up. Right. And it's their own screwed up dynamics too. So it, it might even not be malign, malignant. It might just really be, this is an emotional limitation that the other person has. And they're, they're working from their fear. Right. But th there's no talk. So right. Right. That, so that's the problem. If you can't have a dialogue about it and that person is just stuck in that circle in that, you know, in their, in their system and they believe in the system because that's their empowerment and they're not going to look at themselves. They're going to go, these are the rules that I grew up with. So these are the rules I'm going to pass on. And they adopt the belief system without questioning it. And they just live it to the nth degree. Is that who they really are? Or is that the system and the beliefs that they grew up with that they just adopted without choice? Yes, exactly. And then you're just in this dynamic together where you're not talking about it. It doesn't, I don't believe, and I'm just going to throw this out there, my own opinion is not backed by any, any major medical journals, but I don't, I don't believe that's a happy equation for anyone, you know, and you, you had to break from your family. But what I love about what you said is that you may need to break from your family, but that might not be forever. I would hope not. I, mm -hmm. For me, and I can only speak from my own experience, I am not strong enough emotionally to deal with the judgment and the shame and not being in the role that I was brought up in. I don't right. want to play that role anymore. I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. I didn't have a choice in it. But when I go back as me, I'm not comfortable enough in my own shoes, in my own shame, in my own dysfunction, to stand on my own two feet and not let it tear me down. So I need this break to go and find out who Joe is and what he's about and build real strength, not family system strength, not role strength, authentic mm -hmm. strength. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I would hope that I would be strong enough to go back. And, you know, I, who knows if they're going to, you know, accept me back at this point. But I, it, it's sad, you know, it's sad that you can't have that conversation and you have to go this alone. But that's, that's the only way from, that worked for me. If there was a dialogue and we could have done it together, mm -hmm. I think I would have loved that. But people, not all people are ready to, to, to do this. Some people are never ready to go down this road and, and find out who they are and admit their faults and where they where they didn't do right by others. It's it's hard to go there and admit that, and I get that. So I don't feel anger so much anymore. Like I feel like the anger's gone. Mm -hmm. But I so it it's not about them anymore. It's not about the system. It's not about how I'm brought up. I'm a grown man. If I don't start taking responsibility, then I'm wrong. If I keep continuing to blame them and everything else that happened to me on somebody else. I will stay a victim forever. I have to empower myself by not blaming, not being a victim and taking responsibility for how bad I screwed my life up. Because right. at some point I had a choice and I didn't take it. Right, right. Despite, and as an adult, even when you, and I don't mean like as a fresh, newly hatched adult. <laughs> I mean like as an adult, you get some experience under your belt and you start to say, wow, I keep fucking that up. Wow, I keep messing that up. Wow, I keep doing this. So I need to stop and I need to learn how to be self-sufficient. I need to learn how to be self-aware and how to take control. And the way to do that, this is what I found anyways, is that it, that has to be priority. It has to be priority over 
anything else in your life, like remembering to bring the trash down to the curb. My husband is probably like cringing hearing that. <laughs> it has to be priority over that so that you remember it, so that you do a self-check and a self-control. And then I think the other thing is that there's kindness that you have to extend to yourself in the healing. It's very overwhelming to be in the shame, and we're hearing that from you. But to bring yourself out of that, you have had to extend yourself kindness. You have had to say, wow, you know what? I, I look at what you've been through, and I understand. I understand why you acted that way. I'm not excusing it. Not at all. Don't excuse it. But I can understand. You didn't have the tools. You didn't learn emotional maturity or responsibility or whatever. And so, and this is why people can't have those conversations. That is the deepest freaking dive you can ever take. Oh, absolutely. There's so far buried over time. Mm -hmm. By the time you realize that you have all of this intertwined emotional confusion, it, it's, you're, you're so far into it. It's, it, it feels so daunting to go back and, yeah. and uncover all this stuff. It's like when I was never really happy on, on, on the, you know, below the surface, I just did things that distracted me, that made me feel good, that took it away. Yeah. But yeah. going to, to go back into that is, is so painful. And it's the hardest work you're ever going to do. It's very lonely. It's very isolating. And nobody's talking about any of this world you look on social media everybody's like at a beach at a pool on a cruise having this great life and you're sitting there going i haven't been able to make it to the mailbox in 16 days <laughs> you know yeah, like, yeah. i don't want to look little... at this <laughs> yeah no and so you started on your path to recovery and after you lost everything you're like well i'm going to take stock of me so you started on your path to recovery and you were ready you were ready to connect to people. You were ready to go out to lunch. You were ready to like, high five. Hey, how's it going? And then Corona hit. Oh, yeah. So um, was the, what happened? You, you like, you shucked in. You wanted to jive, you know? Well, I, like, <laughs> it's funny because part of me was like, I had this big exhale. I'm like, oh, I get a break for a little while instead of like running around and life. And then it got to the point where I caught up on all the stuff that I wanted to do in the home and old memories and all of that. And then there was nothing left to do. Yeah. And then I had to sit with myself. I couldn't mood alter. I couldn't take short trips. I couldn't, you couldn't do anything. And the, the being forced to sit with myself, even now I'm out of my mind. Like I, I need to get away. Cause like, I can't, <laughs> I can't do these four walls much longer. Yeah. But, so there was something, there was this, it was just like a big time out for me where, I was able to focus on the things that were sliding and just catch up with life. But then I was faced with this loneliness and this emptiness. And I felt like I wanted to get out there and start, uh, you know, doing exposure work and being more social and, you know, uh, working on my skills that I've been practicing for so long and then you can't do it. And it was a little disappointment. And then it was the pain of not being able to get away from myself. And that there was so much healing and learning, the learning in realizing what makes me feel good. I can't, you can't do much now. So I just find these small little things throughout the day to do. And mm -hmm. that gets me through the next couple of hours. It's, it's a very odd time, but it talk about hitting the brakes and being stuck with yourself to look at stuff that you would have been too busy to look at. So I'm trying to make the most out of it. Yeah, I love that. And even this is the time when we have to shrink time down, like you're talking about two or three hours. All right, then what am I going to do? What will take me to the next part of my day? But it's critically important to have something to look forward to in this. And so we do still need that human connection, even when you're in the midst of trauma recovery and you're going inward, you have to, it's almost like you have to like, reach your hand out just a little bit so somebody can grasp it, you know, or, or make some eye contact. Um, and I think social media is the way to do that. We might not be able to get together per se, but, you know, um, we definitely can feel less alone. And you have to keep working on your recovery because depression is like lupus, okay? Or anxiety is like... MS, for example, they are 
long-lived ongoing conditions that require the person who is harboring them or affected by them to take steps every single day. The self-care is absolutely required. So it's like, all right, depression, for example, you don't want to get up, you don't want to do anything, don't want to take a shower, you don't want to cook anything good for yourself, right? But when do you have your good days? Your good days come when you connect with people, when you take care of yourself, when you demonstrate to you that you're important. Yeah, I, connection is is everything. I mean, we're all connected. We're, we're living in a world where connection is has been broken so bad. But that's we're, we're humans. We are built for connection, and in this yeah. time, it's very hard to connect. And for me, you know, and most people, we get validation and mirroring when we see people, and that's a good feeling. When you're alone and you don't have that mirroring face to know that you're okay or you're valid, you know. You, people validating you, you have to do it yourself. And when you can't get out and socialize and be around people, it's, it's forcing me to validate myself and my choices. And if I can't go on a cruise or go away for five days or get on a plane, how do I, how am I going to get through this without falling deep in depression without having anybody around? I've actually, this is so corny, I can't believe I'm going to say it, but you kind of like, <laughs> I feel like I've made friends with myself in a sense. Oh, where, I love it. Where yes. I do the weirdest things that I never thought I would do that never brought me joy. I'm forced into it because I can't do what I want to do. So instead of sitting on the couch, scrolling through social media and just blowing a whole day binge watching stuff, I'm actually getting out and just trying different things. And some things have stuck. And now I can't seem to get through a day without going for, you know, at least a 10 mile bike ride. I hate exercise. You can't, you can't get me in a gym with dynamite. And now I can't finish the day without it. And that, and the time I, I do it alone mostly. And the time I spend with myself, it clears my head. I'm physically getting healthier. I'm, I'm out in nature. I would have never had this if it wasn't for the, for the lockdown. So I got to know, I'm getting to know myself better without distraction. So for me, that's the plus. The negative is that I'm craving connection on so many levels. Yeah. And it's hard. It's, it's, it's really hard because there's no, who, who doesn't want to be in the room with you? You know what I mean? Who's still like, really? Yes. And, and the, then you got the other extreme where people are just like hugging you, giving a kiss hello. And it's like, have you, have you seen this thing going around? It's called the <laughs> pandemic. You know what I mean? Well, our daughter came over last night. She had to pick up a package that, would, that was delivered here. And I was up in bed because in the evening. So she came over and she's standing at the foot of my bed. And all of a sudden she starts coughing. And then she leaves the room and after she left, I turned to my husband and I said, you know, do you know what my favorite part of this visit was? And he said, no, what? I said, when she was open mouth coughing at the <laughs> foot of the bed, that was my absolute favorite part of this because you just kind of, like start spiraling. I'm like, oh my God, Lauren, you're out, you're out in public. You know, right. you're, I don't know what you're, and it's your child. You know, your first instinct is like grab your child and hug your child. And now I'm like, dude, you got cooties. Like, I can't. <laughs> it, it's so bizarre. It really is. Like, yeah. with my kids, every time they sneeze, I, we're not saying God bless you. We say not COVID. <laughs> you oh know? <laughs> See? <laughs> See, everything's changing. But this is, this is critical. I think this is a critical message is that everything is changing and in, it's, it's not always for the worst because, and we are going to have to connect differently. We have come to rely on hugging, hand holding, you know, some of these kind of human touches. And we have to adapt that right now because we're the stupidest nation in the world. And we're the only one that's still in our bedroom. Everybody right. else is out. We're like, eh, you can't catch me. Eh. Well, you got to go back to your room, sir. It's, it's <laughs> such, it is a lot, there's a, a lot of anger going on out there. There's, yes. it, there's very little working together. And it's, it's kind of sad because I felt like the world had come together for about 18 days. Mm -hmm. And then it was just the back to the finger point and nobody really taking responsibility. People are allowed to say I made a mistake. 
Like there's yes. so much, there's so much yes. healing in this. I'm sorry I was wrong. Like that goes so far with humans and it's almost out of our vocabulary to go to any place of vulnerability to admit that we were wrong, we made a mistake. And, and now there's this, everybody's walking around having to be perfect. And as soon as you're one ounce less than perfect, you're getting pounced on. And that is no way to go through life. This is why people isolate. They can't handle all that judgment and shame because they don't feel strong enough within, this, within themselves. It's just really sad. Well, and they don't know, they never learned how to, I mean, you don't sit down with your kids and you're like, all right, today we're going to talk about how to get through shame. Like nobody, nobody. <laughs> I try, I, I try <laughs> to do that. <laughs> They're like, okay, dad, got it, dad. All right, dad, got yeah. it, got it, good. <laughs> I'm fine. Do we have any peanut butter? Whatever. Right. Can I get back yeah. to Xbox, please? <laughs> I know, exactly. It's crazy, but it's like, no, listen. You're going to need it. I mean it, you know, and, and are you healthy and do you feel loved and are you academically challenged and like, <laughs> right. and do you feel shame and let's talk about it, you know? So, well, I think this has been an amazing conversation. I have one last question for you before yeah. we have to close. It just went so fast though, Joe. Holy, holy um, moly. That did go quick. It's crazy. Um, there's a lot more to talk about. So I do want to invite you to come back at some Absolutely. point. Yeah. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll dig into it again. But if someone is struggling with managing trauma and healing themselves, what is their first best step they can take? You got to, you have to admit that, you know, you, it's not working alone. We can't think our way out of this. We have to act our way out of it. And the only way I know that to, to get out of it is to go into it myself and go into it with somebody I trust. I went through, I can't tell you when I went back into therapy, I went through so many therapists at first because I knew I needed the right one. I was at a real critical point. And when I finally walked in and it clicked with this woman, uh, I've been with her ever since. And I have built, building a trust with somebody, coming out of hiding and feeling like you can say anything to this person without the judgment, just to get it out of you, mm -hmm. get it out of your soul, out of your mind, out of your body. Mm -hmm. It's so important, but it's not like you go to therapy for an hour a week and then you're just off water skiing. Like you have to actually do the work. You have to sit in the feelings. <laughs> you have to, you, you know, write it out, meditate it out, start reading, start join a, a Facebook group or, or some kind of group, follow people, connect yeah. with people who are, in your space the, the the positive like all the life coaches that are showing like them living like millionaires when you're deep in your shame and your your, your self-hate and you're looking at that that is just going to compound it put those things away for a while get to where you're feeling and align with those people and what they're doing and that's the start we have to come out of hiding we are never as bad as we think the impression and the judgment that we have put on ourselves mm -hmm. is unlike anything else. Nobody is looking at us that way, but we feel the world is looking at us that way. And the only way not, the only way to change that is to actually get out and talk to people and start telling your story so that you can see that you're not, your pain is, you're not alone in it. There's so many people who are suffering, but they come out of, they're, they're coming out of hiding. And I can tell this in, in one way, and this is kind of silly, but sometimes I'll have more people that'll save a post of mine on social media than I'll like it. Like mm -hmm. they're ashamed to put their name to it, identifying to it. And I understand some of it's deep and it's dark and nobody wants to have that out there publicly. Right. Look, it's yeah. coming out of hiding. It's going into the feelings and then coming out of hiding with those feelings to somebody you trust. And once you get that foundation, it, you know, I'm at a point where I can, I could tell probably too much of my stuff without feeling bad about myself. So I'll just walk in and dumping a lot of stuff on the table. And people are looking at me like, what's up with this guy? <laughs> <laughs> that is like emptying out all your pockets on the table and people being like, why do you keep a kazoo in your pocket? <laughs> right, like, right. Weird. like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, well, that's awesome. Um, so much wisdom from you coming from the trenches of healing. And I'm just so grateful that you took the time to be on the show today and help people and, and that you're moving forward to do that more in your own life and sitting in that discomfort as you and I like to say, putting on our cactus pants. 
right? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful to have you on. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Hillary. I appreciate it. You got it. Joe Ryan is paving the way for people to heal. That's my fave kind of leader. And you have to go first to be a good leader. Joe does that. He is bearing his soul publicly simply to extend a hand to people who might feel stuck or frozen in their healing journeys. And there are coaches out there who strive to do the same. But what I noticed that set Joe apart was that his voice embodies such compassion and warmth. That when you need permission to feel whatever you need to feel to progress on your emotional journey, he's right there with you. You get that just from listening to him. I encourage you to add his podcast, It's Not You, It's Your Trauma, to your Rolodex. That's an 80s joke. Look it up, yo. Your Rolodex of favorite podcasts, especially if you're grappling with trauma, abuse, anxiety, PSD, PTSD, and recovery. Within his dulcet tones, you will find the place where you're accepted. And there's no shame allowed. That sounded really shameful, by the way. Didn't mean that. Listen in wherever podcasts are available. And make sure you check out his website, joeryan.com. Follow him on Instagram at joeryan. You know, and I wonder how in the world you nabbed those domains before it was like Joe Ryan, 4921376540. So I'm impressed with that. P.S. Make friends with yourself. And P.P.S. The self perception of people and other people thinking about you is a lie. It's all a lie. You tell yourself what other people think about you. And that's a big fat lie. So just remember that as you go forward in your day today. And once again, the money's on the table. All you have to do is pick it up. I mean the money that comes from working remotely. In any period of business life, you want to keep your pipeline full and keep those jobs lined up to ensure that you have a steady income flowing in. That means you have to plan. So check out the SickBiz Facebook group and the jobs that we are listing. That's one of the reasons that SickBiz came to be, to make finding remote opportunities easier and making sure that they are relevant and profitable just for you. That's it for this week's episode of Sick Biz Buzz. Thanks so much for listening. Be well. <laughs>